God is good, amen? All the time. Matthew chapter 13. Tell me I got 30 minutes. I got to make them count. Matthew chapter 13. In verse 24. Verse 24. As I was studying recently, uh, a few days ago, and I come across this parable, and you know, sometimes you can read a parable for a hundred times, and and in the right moment, the right time, the right way, God will just speak something totally different to you. It's the power of illumination that, that, that God has. But this right here, this parable, is the parable of the tares among the wheat. Amen. And I was going to get up here, and I was going to speak a similar sermon with a parable of agriculture, of when Jesus said, in order for there to be fruit produced, a seed has to be planted and then it has to die. Because ultimately what God's calling us to do, church, is be fruitful in the land in which he's placed us. And not only as a church, but individually, each and every one of us, God is calling you in this life to be fruitful and multiply. And in order for a fruit bearing tree to be fruitful, first, number one, it has to be planted. And then number two, it has to die. And so what God does is God grabs a hold of you. He sows his word into your heart and it begins to transform you who you are. And then he takes you and he sows you into a specific place. And then the next thing he calls you to do is to die. Amen. But sometimes because of our immaturity, we have a problem with dying. Amen. But the Bible says if we die with him, we will reign with him. Hallelujah. So dying where you're planted. And I believe that God has planted a lot of individuals here in our ministry. And he's beginning to place people in our church. And so now it's on us to die. To die to what? To die to self. And that's how fruit is going to be produced through this ministry, through this church, through your life, is you have to die where God is planting you. Amen? And so I think it's funny that, that as I'm reading, as I'm studying, God gave me a word that, that's, you know, it's kind of similar. It's about being planted in agriculture. And, uh, but I believe it's a, it's a right now word for our church because God is on the move here. Amen? God is on the move. God is changing lives. He's transforming lives. He's restoring families. He's restoring children back to the mothers, restoring children back to their fathers. He's bringing marriages back together. He is transforming lives here at Victory Life. Every day there's a new miracle happening. But how many of you know when God's on the move, Satan is right behind him. And it would be neglect for us to deny that there is a real enemy that's out to get us. So as a church, we need to be aware. We need to be alert. And I believe God spoke to me through this parable. In verse 24, and the word of God reads, it says, Jesus presented another parable to them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, the enemy came. So we see here that the enemy is at work. When is he at work? When the men are sleeping. And this enemy came and he sowed tares among the wheat. And then he crept away. A little sneaky guy. 
But when the wheat sprouted and bore grain, or also bore fruit, then the tares became evident also. The slaves of the landowner came and they said to him, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Didn't you sow good seed here? Fruitful seed here? Well, how is it that there's tares among the wheat? And he said to them, an enemy, somebody say an enemy. An enemy has done this. And the slave said to him, and this is naturally, this is the first thing, the conclusion we come to. Well, do you want us to go and gather all of them up, uproot all the tares, get them up out of here? But he said, no. The landowner said, no. For while you were gathering up the tares, you could uproot the wheat with them. And check this out right here. Allow both to grow together. That's a hard preaching, huh? Allow both to grow together until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers first, gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Hallelujah. And I don't know about you, but I know I'm saved. And one day I am going to be gathered into my master's barn. Amen. He has a wedding feast prepared for us. Hallelujah. But this morning, what I like to preach on is tearing up the church. Tearing up the church. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, God, Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit just has his way in this place. Father, you've prepared our hearts through worship. Just allow us to be humble and receptive to what your Holy Spirit is speaking this morning, God. Lord, I pray for unity amongst our church. And I pray, God, that you help us to be more aware and more alert of the enemy and your presence and your spirit's workings in our heart and in our life, God. Lord, we thank you for everything you're doing here at Victory Life, God. We praise you. Just speak to us this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, come on, give God some praise this morning. So I'm talking about tearing up the church, and I think that's a nice little play on words there. Because I don't want us to be ignorant to the fact that there is an enemy at work, and he comes to steal, kill, and destroy And his goal in the church is to get us so focused on each other's mess, so focused on the person to the left and to the right, that we don't have the ability to face the real enemy. Amen? And in this chapter, in this chapter right here, Jesus gives eight parables in this chapter alone. Right? And this right here, this this parable, this one out of all of them, if you keep looking into this chapter, it starts in verse 36. And the word of God reads, it says, then he left the crowds and he went into the house and his disciples came to him. You know what they said? They said, hey, you got to explain this one to me. Because the disciples said, we don't get this. We don't understand this one. This parable right here, it struck a nerve in the disciples' heart. Because they couldn't understand if, if there's something bad in the mix of the good, why wouldn't you just uproot the bad and get it out? It bothered the disciples. To the point where they had to know the explanation of this parable. They wanted to know. They didn't understand it. They couldn't grasp it. They came and they asked the meaning, right? And we know that the the chapter before, God gives us the parable of the sower and the four different soils. Amen? And how many of you know that it's good seed? The word of God is good seed. But the growth is determined by the soil that the word goes into. Amen. And this word is being preached. This word is being shared here. This word is being witnessed. We do. We live it. We breathe it. We teach it. But the growth is determined by the soil which the seed falls on. And the soil, ladies and gentlemen, is your heart. 
It's your heart. And so it's our responsibility as a Christian to prepare our hearts for the word when we come into this church. So how do we prepare our hearts? Through prayer, through worship, through praise, opening our heart, really interceding. That's how we prepare our hearts for the word. And what I'm starting to find out is, 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 is God will sow his seed into your heart and it'll begin to do a work in your heart. And then what God do, God, he'll take you and he'll sow you into a place. And how many know when God wants to be a blessing somewhere to somebody else, he uses a person? But let's flip it. How many know when the enemy wants to do his work, he uses a person? He uses a person. Uh-huh. Is that real? And so we see this, this parable right here. Jesus gives us a picture of the world in conflict. And not just the world, but the church. He gives us a parable of the church in conflict. And we see that the enemy is the one that's sneaking around and doing all the work behind the scenes. And he plants these tares among the weep, and their job description is to tear up the church. That's their job description. They had a resume to tear up the church. Yeah, buddy. And but, the, but check this out. The landowner tells us, he says, we can't uproot them. But as a wheat, as a Christian, as a body of believers, we are not going to let them tear the church up. It's our responsibility to make sure the tares don't have the opportunity to tear the church up. But I promise you, there is always going to be tares, and the landowner says, you got to leave them be. But what are the tares? Well, let me tell you, brother. The tares, the right classification, in that day, here, show the picture. i got a picture. Show the picture. It's a bearded darnel, right? And we see the wheat, we see the tares, and it looks similar, right? It looks similar. It looks like, it looks similar, but the real classification for the tear in that day was the bearded darnel. And what I'm learning is in the early stages of, of the tear, it looks just like the wheat. But when it comes to maturity is when you can tell the difference. And what happens is in the head of that tear, there's these little black seeds and they're actually poisonous. They're poisonous. Amen. But like I said before, this parable, it really struck a nerve with the disciples to the point where they had to get Jesus alone. And they said, Jesus, you, you got to explain this because we don't get this. And how many of you know you've been in that same situation where you're like, Jesus, I don't understand this. I don't get this. Jesus, you got you got to help this help me make sense of all this because this this don't make sense. Uh huh. Well, let me tell you, let me tell you a few things as I studied this parable in, in agriculture and wheat and tares that I'm learning. And what I'm learning is the tares and the wheat, right? They were both planted in the same field. And so they're growing together side by side. So check this out. The tares were permitted to be planted in the same soil, soak up the same water, and receive light from the same sun, what nourished the wheat. The same sun, the same water, the same soil that it grabbed its nutrients from, the wheat, the tares were nourished off the same stuff. They were planted in the same soil. Amen? And God said, permit them to be planted there. Permit them. And then, then also, the tares, right? We always want to say, oh, the tares look like the wheat. Oh, the hypocrites in the church. 
Oh, he's faking. Oh, he's trying to mimic a Christian. He's trying to look like a Christian, right? We always want to talk about how the wheat looks like the, or the tares look like the wheat. Oh, the tares, they're, look, they're faking. They look like it. But how many of you know that you can flip that and sometimes the wheat looks like the tares? Sometimes the wheat looks like the tares. Because listen, you know, like when I look back on my life, there had been times because of my immaturity that I looked like a tear to everyone else. Because of my immaturity. Because the Bible tells us you can only, you can only discern what's a wheat and tear once they've come to maturity. And so you have to understand, sometimes we throw the baby out with the bathwater. We say, oh, oh, he was talking like that. He's a tear, hypocrite. He's fake. He's not really with us, Right? But you can't do that because sometimes people are at different places in their walk in different places of maturity. And sometimes the wheat looks like the tear. And you're trying to uproot a wheat that God planted. And I mean, a tear that, that God planted and really it's a wheat. So now you're doing the work of the enemy. Yeah, sometimes we judge people wrongly because of their immaturity and their walk. But the parable shows us there's no way to distinguish until full-grown maturity. I'm telling you, I'm so thankful that y'all didn't throw me out in my time's immaturity. Because I was a fool when I came into this thing. I was a fool. But I was a wheat. And God planted me here. But there was plenty of times that I looked like a tear. But I had faithful men in God, a spiritual mother, a spiritual father, and a crazy home director that believed in me. They didn't throw me out. They understood that I was immature in my walk. And we have to have that same mercy and that same grace for the people that are around us. Amen? Sometimes the wheat looks like the tear. And me, myself, I've come to have really bad perceptions of certain people around me in the church before. I mean, I'll be real. I'll be honest. Some of the people around me, I started having really bad. I started perceiving them wrong. Man, he's not with us. He's a tear. Why is he here? Da da this. And every single time, you know what God did to me? He put me in front of a mirror. And I understood that people could see me and think the same thing. Uh-huh. How many times do we want to uh, incorrectly judge people? And the reality is God's trying to change us. God's trying to transform us. Saints, we have to understand that, that it's not our role to judge the wheat and tares. As the landowner said, what, what did the master in the say? He said, it's not your job to judge the wheat and the tares. Let the wheat grow with the tares. So as a church, as a body of Christ, it's our responsibility to what? To stay planted and grow. That's our responsibility. And if we stick what we're called to do, if we continue to stay focused on that, growing together as a body of Christ, a body of believers, a family, guess what? The tares won't have an opportunity to tear up the church. You don't have to be worried about who's a tear and who's a wheat and get your tools out to do some uprooting. You just got to stay focused on growing in God and seeking Jesus yourself. So what? There's tares all around you. It's your responsibility to grow yourself. It's not our responsibility to play master farmer, church. Amen? But is, it is our responsibility to band together as a family and make sure the tares don't have an opportunity to tear this church up. 
Because the enemy's behind the scenes, and that's what he wants more than anything, is for a church to be tore up, to be teared up, to go and plant these tears, right? And what I also, when I was thinking about it, you know, these Darnels, they got poison in the head, okay? There's poison in the head. But what you have to understand is the only way that you can get poisoned is if you bite into it. The only way that it can affect you and get you dizzy and get you nauseated is if you bite into it. And I promise you, there's going to be people in your life that are going to talk bad about the pastor. They're going to talk bad about the church. They're going to talk bad about the ministry. They're going to try and poison you and your perception of what God's doing here and, and the ministry and the vision and the call. But the only way it can affect you is if you entertain it. If you bite into it. You can't shut someone's mouth, but you can shut your ears. The only way it affects you is if you bite into it. And I promise you, more than anything, the enemy would love to pervert your perception of the church, to pervert your perception of the man of God, to pervert your perception of the ministry, the calling, the people in the church, the, the whole vision, everything. The enemy would love more than anything to do that. Why? Because he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's planting tears to try and tear up the church. See how many times I can use that? I love that wordplay. To tear up the church. Amen? But we as a church, let me be real. Me as a church, we should be so unified and all be planted and growing together that when the tear rises up and comes to maturity and tries to poison other wheat, that it doesn't affect the progress of the church or the ministry at all. We're a family. We're a body. Like Pastor was saying, it's blessing to have family. You got to understand our roots with each other, they go deeper than just church, brother. Our roots with each other, they go deeper than just ministry, sister. We're a family. Amen? We're a family. And the poison head of that darnel, it shouldn't have any effect on any of us if we're doing our part. If we're planted, we're unified, and we're all growing. Amen? We're all growing. And, and I think sometimes we read this parable, and we begin to eat it up about the hypocrisy in the church. Oh, yeah, Jesus is talking about the hypocrites in the church. And we see here the last verse, he says, they're going to be gathered up and thrown in the fire. We're like, yeah, they're going to get theirs one day, yeah. Them hypocrites, them fakers, them role players, right? Yeah, they're going to get theirs. But, but you got to understand, if you dig a little deeper, this is more than just an opportunity to point the finger at somebody. This parable right here. This parable, it gives us real wisdom from God how to deal with difficult people. This parable right here gives us wisdom how to deal with those people in our life that we don't understand. Those people in our life that we question, are they really for us? This parable gives us wisdom on how to deal with those people. It's more than just, oh, Jesus said you're going to get yours one day. It's not about just calling out hypocrites in the church because the reality is each and every one of us in here got a little hypocrite in them. Ain't nobody perfect. Even the Apostle Paul wrote 13 books in the New Testament. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? Because each and every one of us, we, we got our own hypocrisy in us. Amen? You're not the landowner, brother. You're not the owner of the land. You're not the master farmer. He is. 
And yeah, yeah, the Bible does say we're to judge according to the word of God. If somebody is in blatant sin, especially in the fellowship, we're to come to them correctly one-on-one. If that don't work, come in with another one. If that don't work, come before the church. And if that don't work, then the Bible says that we need to, you know, get them on down the road. That's scripture, right? But the Bible never tells us to judge the motives of another man. It never tells us to judge the motives of another woman. Because so many times, people, people thought they had me found out, right? They thought they had me, oh, he's just, you know, this, and he's just that. They, they had their wrong perceptions about my motives. I remember the first time when I really started grabbing a hold of this Christianity and, and I deny myself and serve others, I used to raise my hand when I was in the ministry. I'd say, I want to go do dishes. I want to go do dishes. And I remember my home director, he's like, man, you just want to get in that kitchen, get some snacks, you know, get, get some more food or something. But I didn't. I wanted to go help because I was, I was feeding on this stuff. I was growing. I was grabbing a hold of it, right? But how many times do we misinterpret somebody's motive? Judge them incorrectly, Amen. So maybe Jesus, Jesus is in this parable. What he's trying to teach the disciples here and even us as a church today is, is more than just pointing out the hypocrites in the church. But maybe he's showing us that our actions matter even more. How we respond to these people. Do you know what separates you from the world? Love. That's what separates you. Anybody can love somebody that loves them. Anybody can do good for somebody that does good for them. Anybody can bless the one that blesses them. But Jesus goes even further. And he says, no, I want you to love the one that hates you. I want you to serve the one that persecutes you. I want you to sow into the one who talks about you. Isn't that what pastors preaching to the conference? I got to hear a little bit of it yesterday. Sowing in a hard place. And sometimes, you know, that's where he puts us. And I promise you, I've seen my pastor time and time and time and time and time and time and time again sow into the very people that downed him, that persecuted him. And so, and so, and when I read this, I was like, man, I understand now. Because sometimes we think pastor crazy. <laughs> There's something wrong, pastor, man. Too high on the Holy Ghost. Right? But I'm, it's clicking, man. It's clicking. It's clicking. And so the, I'm going to give you three things real quick that I take from this parable. Okay? Three things that I take from this parable. Number one, well, you know what Jesus is saying in, in this parable? He's telling us to be perceptive of the enemy. This is one of the things that Jesus is trying to communicate to us through this parable. Amen? And how many you know Jesus taught with parables? Why? So we could discover the revelation ourselves. Because it's one thing for somebody to tell you something and you get the information secondhand, but how about you discover it yourself? And then it holds weight. It's a reality to you. And that's why Jesus taught in parables. So these truths could be a reality to you, not just secondhand information somebody's telling you. Amen? But the first thing Jesus is saying in verse 25, it says, but while his men were sleeping, sleeping on the job, but while his men were sleeping, the enemy came Ooh-wee. while they were sleeping. Man, we got, man, our ministry's doing good. Church is growing. Man, people are getting changed. Man, I can just kick back and kind of chill now, right? I feel accomplished. 
And the Apostle Paul told us, take heed when you think you stand, lest ye fall. Because right when you think you can relax is when the enemy sneaks in. Plants some tares, plants some discord, plants some dissension. And it says, he sowed the tares among the wheat and then he went away. Then he went away. So what he did, he comes in, he, he sows some tares, sows some discord, sows some dissension, then he runs away. And then us as a church, we're over here fighting each other. The devil's not even here no more. He just riled somebody up towards somebody else. There's dissension. There's division. Now we got all this stuff going on in the church and the devil's just laughing. He's over here messing with the next church. God is busy fighting each other. But saints, how often does the enemy really get to accomplish his work because of our lack of alertness? And church, we got to wake up as a church. We have to wake up as a ministry. We have to wake up as a spiritual family because the enemy wants more than anything to catch us sleeping so he can come plant some tares. We have to wake up. We have to be sober-minded to be alert, the Bible says, to be self-controlled and alert for the devil prowls around like a lion seeking who he can devour. Again and again, the, the Bible tells us to be awake, be alert, be awake, be alert, be awake, be alert. Because the enemy is going to wait until you're not alert to come and to sow in some stuff. But we see here the enemy came and he sowed in the tares while everyone was asleep. And then he tucked tail and he ran. And the, the enemy, he didn't stay to watch these tares come to maturity. He didn't stay to watch these tares come to fruition. He sowed the seeds in the tares and he sowed the conflict in the field and then he ran away. And I'm learning, I'm learning in ancient warfare that this is what they would do. They would sneak in when the people were asleep and they would, they would mess up the, the, the crops of the people they were warned against. Because they figure if they can cut them out from getting fed, they can ultimately win the war. Huh? If they can cut them out from getting fed, then the enemy can win the war. And how many of you know that that's what the enemy wants to do with us? He wants there to be so much conflict in our life with each other that it keeps us from getting fed. And that's how the enemy begins to advance. His kingdom. Amen? And, and, and also something is that I feel in my life personally is a lot of times the reason I fall asleep, and maybe it's just me, but sometimes the reason I fall asleep is because everything's going good in my life. Everything's going good. I'm married, got me a vehicle, people are coming in the home. We have more people in the home than we ever had. Ministry's booming. We got another campus. Everything's just blessed. People changing. Things, getting opportunities to do stuff, being able to pour into the youth, church growth, all this stuff. Everything's going good. And because everything's going good, I just, you know, a little bit here and there, drift away from, from seeking God. And I'm no longer alert. It's easy to press into God when you need Him. But how about when you feel that you don't need Him anymore? That's when you have to go from a need to a want. And you've got to press into the things of God. Why? Because you want to. I tell them all the time, Christianity only works if you're in love. It only works if you're in love. You know, Jesus, He, he tried to tell us, you know, those who love me will keep my commandments. We focus on keeping his commandments, but we're supposed to be focused on loving him. And within loving him, we'll keep his commandments. Amen? 
But yeah, too often we begin to drift away from God because everything's going our way in our life. Right? But this is, you know, I was talking to the pastor. I was like, this is when we really have to develop the disciplines ourselves to still pray, even though we're blessed, to still worship, to still praise, to praise like all hell was in our life a few months ago. Praise like that now when everything is going your way. Amen. Amen. This is how we stay alert. This is how we stay so, this is how we catch it. We stay awake. Somebody say, I'm going to stay woke. Stay woke, baby. You know what I'm saying? Because the enemy roams around like a lion to begin to worship and pray, just like when everything was going bad for you. And this is what Jesus is saying. Listen, you got to stay perceptive of the enemy. Don't ever think that the enemy's backing down. Don't ever think that the enemy's no longer going to mess with you. Don't ever think that you don't got to pray no more. Don't ever think that you can't seek counsel from from spiritual uh, leaders no more. Don't ever get too prideful to think you don't need the help of the church. You don't need the body of believers in your life. Don't ever get to this point. Take heed when you think you stand, lest you fall. To be perceptive of the enemy. And for some reason, during times of success... We become too vulnerable to the enemy and the lies of the enemy. We begin to believe the lies of the enemy during times of success, and we herald them as truth. We get it all twisted. So number one, he's trying to teach us to be perceptive of the enemy. Number two, number two, there's something else Jesus is trying to teach us, to be patient with the tares. This is something he's trying to show us, to be patient with the tares. In verse 29 and 30, but he said, no, for while you were gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. And what I'm learning is I remember uh, before I moved into my house where I'm at now, there's some, there's some, uh, some rose bushes outside the uh, front of my house. And my neighbor, her name is Mary Cherry. <laughs> Say it with me, Mary Cherry. Mary, Mary Cherry. Cherry, that's a unique name there. Mary Cherry. And she would come over. Uh, every day for about a month while I was over there working, getting that house ready. And she would remind me that those are her rose bushes and she didn't want those rose bushes taken out of the ground. And she'd come once a day. And anybody I'd bring over there, she'd tell them too. She was trying to get the word around. Hey, we're slipping as a church. And she'd get over this elderly woman, get over there every day and share her word, amen, every single day. And I remember when we were, when we were pulling the weeds up around the rose bushes that, that you know, if, if, if the, the weeds are too close to the rose bush, you start pulling up the rose bush as you pull up the weeds. you got to be very careful. And it's like this in the church sometimes. Because in the church, as we grow together, sometimes we get entangled with the wrong people. We get entangled in the wrong conversations. We get entangled in the, in, in the wrong uh, uh, talks, the wrong discussions. We get entangled with some people as we're in the church. Maybe some, some relationship that's not too productive for you. We get entangled in that relationship. And sometimes, right, if they would pull that person out, how many of you know some other people would fall away too? That's why you have to be very wise. Very wise. But they wanted, they wanted to pull the tares out in this parable. And he said, no, for while you're gathering up the tares, you may uproot the wheat with them. Allow both to grow together until the harvest. You know what he's saying? He's saying, listen, you got to be patient with the tares. You have to be patient with the tares. And I thank God, I, I, I've, I've witnessed people be patient with me. And so I can understand how I need to be patient with other people. I've received mercy myself, and it would be selfish of me to not give that mercy back. It would be wrong of me to not give that same patience back, as people were patient with me. 
people were merciful with me. And even, even the people in the parable, which represented angels, even they were like, hey, Master, we need to go tear these tears up. Even they didn't understand it, right? But the Master tried to tell them, if you act too hastily, you could destroy the wheat while you're trying to pull up the tares. Amen? But like I said before, patience, growth, maturity, that's what separated the wheat and the tares. Only time can tell. Maturity, not intentional uprooting. Imagine looking back and someone uprooting someone because of their immaturity thinking they were a tear. And the reality is God was raising that person to be a fruitful Christian in society. He was, trying to, he was trying to raise up this man, this woman, to be a fruitful Christian in the church. And because of your lack of patience with these people, we lost them. We lost them. And so why in this parable, the master's saying, be patient with the tares. Be patient with the tares. Because they may be in a different time in their walk. They may be still be immature in some ways. And age ain't nothing but a number. Uh-huh. You can be 40, 50 and still be so a little bit immature. I mean, I'll tell it. Amen? Age ain't nothing but a number. Sometimes, you know, you, you're even old in the walk, and sometimes you're just immature. You got, and it's not even, it don't even come out like folly and joking. It's just maybe you don't understand spiritual warfare just yet, and you can't really recognize the enemy just yet. And so you start, every time the enemy comes and tells you to say something, you just run off at the mouth and say it because you don't really understand all this yet. You're, you're a little immature just now. And us, and this is, this is the first thing that, that comes in our mind, throw them out, uproot them, get rid of them. They're the devil. But Jesus is telling us, no, you're supposed to be patient because you're the mature one. You have to be patient with these people. You have to be patient. Amen? That's what Jesus is telling us. You have to be patient. Be patient. Because ultimately, in the time of maturity, God will sort everything out. God will sort it out. When you start trying to play landowner, you start trying to play God, that's when you're going to be stressed. You know, you're going to have responsibilities that you can't carry out that you're trying to take on. You know, it's going to be hard for you. So we're to be patient with the tares. Somebody say, be patient. be patient. So Jesus is telling us, number one, to be perceptive of the enemy. Number two, Jesus is telling us to be patient with the tares. And number three, this is something on us right here. He's telling us to be prepared for the harvest. In verse 30, allow both to grow together until the harvest. Until the harvest. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather up the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them up, but gather the wheat into my barn. Yeah, believe it or not, there's going to be a day coming, brother and sister, where he is going to crack the sky. And he is going to come back for his church. And the Bible tells us as wheat that we're to be ready for the harvest. We're to be prepared for the harvest. In 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Apostle Paul said this. He said, examine yourselves and see whether or not you're in the faith. Some of us want to examine everybody else but self. And the Word tells us to examine yourself. Examine yourself. I'm going to keep saying it. Examine yourself. Examine yourself whether or not you are in the faith. Amen? And it's sad, just like me in my, my early years, right? I had a form of religion. But I didn't know Jesus. 
And somebody shared this illustration with me, and it, it was like, wow. Because sometimes, and this is what he's saying, he, sometimes you think you're a wheat, and you're really still a tear. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, thanks. He's saying, be prepared for the harvest. Because all this stuff we preach, we talk, we come to church, this isn't just a social gathering, brother. This isn't just a group of people. This is more. This is real. This is real. Jesus really died and he really was raised from the dead. There is a real enemy that wants to see you burn in hell forever. There's a real heaven in eternity and there's a real uh, lake of fire. This is all real. And so it's supposed to shake you to the core because he's saying you be prepared for the harvest yourself. And you know what I'm like? It's like this, this illustration, this flu shot, okay? And what they do with flu shots, you know what they do? They shoot you with a dead virus that keeps you from getting the real. And I believe some of us have been shot with a dead religion and it's kept us from getting the real. I remember growing up when I was young, I got shot with a dead religion. And it wasn't nobody's fault but mine. My heart wasn't open to it at the time. My heart wasn't open to it. It was like that dead virus that got shot into me and it kept me from getting the real thing. And I'm telling you, don't settle for the fake. You want the real deal. Be prepared for the harvest. Worship team, you can come up. Be prepared for the harvest. Saints, some of us profess to be Christian, but we can't back it up with our character. Some of us profess to be Christian, we're professors. We got a, a doctorate in telling everybody something. Uh -huh. Some of us profess to be Christians, but we can't back it up with character. But within this parable, God's telling us, listen, we need to be pre prepared for the harvest ourselves. Amen? You can't change me. You can't. And guess, believe it or not, I can't change you. But I can press in and let God change me. Be prepared for the harvest yourself. And so, so we learn that there's nothing we can do to the tares. And we learn if we try to uproot the tares, we're actually helping the enemy. Because we can uproot wheat as we try to uproot the tares. But it tells us it's our responsibility, this parable, it tells us it's our responsibility to stay planted and to keep growing. Even if you got tares all around you, the Lord is saying to keep growing. Amen? But even myself, you know, we get so focused on pointing out tares and playing landowner that we forget to put our, all our energy is supposed to be put in growing in God and seeking Jesus and our effort and our energy into being a fruitful wheat to bring in God glory and bring in His glory to other people on earth. Bring a fruitful Christian. Amen? So why do you think the enemy snuck out after he planted the tares? Because he didn't want the people to recognize that he planted the tares. He didn't want, he didn't want them to be able to recognize the enemy in their life. But we as the body of believers, we are not ignorant of the wicked devices that Satan brings. We are to be aware and to be sober-minded. Amen? He wants to steal our focus and keep us from being prepared for the harvest ourselves. Imagine harvest day when the landowner comes 
and you ain't got no fruit, but you got a list of everybody that was a tear. That'd be crazy. Because you put all your energy and all your time and all your effort to try and point out the tears. And the reality was God's calling you to be fruitful. To stay planted where you're at. To grow. To cultivate the land. I heard my brother say this morning. The first thing he did with Adam, what did he do? He said he planted them in the land. All right? Planted them in the Garden of Eden. He made them fall in love with God's presence. He gave them a word. Right? He gave them a job. He gave them a calling. Okay? And then he told them what? Cultivate the land. And that word cultivate, I love it, man. It means to bring out the best of where you're at. To bring out the best of where you're at. And God is planting you somewhere. And that's the calling he's putting on your life. To cultivate where God has you. To bring out the best in it. And we are called to grow until harvest. Amen? 1 Corinthians 1.10. I'm done. 1 Corinthians 1.10, we're going to go to 11. This is what we need right now. This is what we need right now. This is what our church needs right now, saints. This is what our church needs. This is what you need because you're a part of this church. This is what we need. And the Word of God says, this is Paul talking to the church of Corinth. He says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Listen, saints, as a church, we're not called to quarrel amongst each other. This is not a house of gossip. This is not a house of running down the godly men in our life. This, shouldn't, this should be a refuge. It should be a safe spiritual atmosphere that people can come in. But for some reason, sometimes we get it twisted because the enemy comes in and he sows these things and he sneaks away and then we're left with each other and there's conflict in the house of God. And now we have created an unsafe environment for the next person to come in. He said, I, there's quarrels among you. And he's saying, stop it. Stop it. A divided house cannot stand. A divided house cannot stand. And you know what Psalms 133 says. Where the people are in unity, the blessing of God lives there forever. And this house, this church, this ministry, it's going to be a house of unity. We can't have division. We can't have quarrels. We can't have dissension. We can't be focused on, is he a tear? Is she a wheat? We, no, stay planted where God has you and you grow. You grow into the man God's called you to be. You grow into the woman God's called you to be. You chase your destiny. You seek Jesus. You give it everything you got and don't focus on the next guy. No divisions among you. Stand to your feet. This altar is going to be open. I just really believe if we all do our part, we're planted. God's planted us. But if we do our part and grow, God's going to blow this thing up. But we got to get past the division. We got to get past the quarrels. We got to get past uh, the tears fighting the weak. We got to get past all this. We got to get past it. God is doing something miraculous here at Victory Life. He's doing something magnificent. He's doing something.
something awesome. I used to be a drug addict. God changed my life. God changed my pastor's life. God changed my spiritual mother's life. God's changed the people's life in the home. God is doing something here. We don't have time to fight amongst each other. with each other in Jesus' name.